Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, I'm very excited that we have singer-songwriter Jason Mraz to talk about his experience with growing avocados and coffee in Southern California. This is part one of a two-part series. Jason is a two-time Grammy winner, singer-songwriter, and an urban farming enthusiast. He has been backyard homesteading for the past five years and currently owns and operates a 10-acre subtropical fruit orchard where he grows avocados, coffee, and 25 other varieties of fruit. He believes a connection to farmers and the origin of our food itself can empower a person to live a happier, healthier, eco-friendly, and more economical life. And he loves driving his tractor. Welcome to the show today, Jason. Well, thank you very much, Greg. It's good to be here. Absolutely. I love that you're here and contributing to the conversation. Thank you. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Absolutely. So in 2004, I'd been touring quite a bit and I knew I wanted to uh, buy a home. And uh, prior to that, I was living in an apartment. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to live out in the uh, out in nature, out in the woods, if uh, you will. Right. Um, I was I was very naive to growing. I was very naive to agriculture. Um, I just wanted to live out uh, where I could make a lot of noise and be a, <laughs> a little weird if I wanted without neighbors uh, directly next to me. Mm-hmm. And I found an old avocado ranch, uh-huh. if you will. At, honestly, at first, I didn't even recognize the trees. It, the, <laughs> the, owner, the owner had to point them out, and I realized that every single tree in our area was an avocado tree, and oh, wow. they were planted back in the 70s. And all I really had to do then was continue to pay a grove manager to keep the trees growing. Mm-hmm. And it, it's been lovely. And the, the, every year, the avos would fall off the trees, and we'd eat them. Well, then around 2008, I just personally started to get a little more health conscious. I started to care more about 
what I was eating and, and what I was watching, what I was thinking. And it, it just dawned on me that I live in an agricultural area and that I have these trees and that I should probably plant a garden as well so that I can supplement our grocery income and, and have access to more local food. And, and that was really the start of it. I, I really wanted to be more... I wanted to empower myself. I wanted to be. I wanted to learn more about where food came from. I wanted to try it on, um, but it, I was scared. I didn't know where to begin. I didn't know what to do. So I started small. I started with a small garden and a, you know, a couple of books, a couple of online searches, and uh, year after year after year, I would understand more and more about it and mm -hmm. try for a little bit bigger. And it wasn't until 2011 that I really did my first proper grow beds where I actually where I actually tilled some of the soil behind my house and, and grew things in the ground directly. Prior to that it was, you know, pretty much containers and, and uh, garden boxes that uh -huh. I had built. And that was my path. And so as I worked on that garden, as it grew and grew each year and started to serve my needs and you know, some years it it didn't serve me, some years it overserved me. As I grew, grew, I then started to take a little more control, a little more ownership of the avocado trees, and transitioning the seven, uh, these forty-year-old trees, transitioning them into organic, and that that's been a process that's really turned me more into a farmer than I than I ever thought I would be. Um, to right now, it's I'm running about fifty-fifty half of my life is really spent um, still writing music uh -huh. and recording it. And the right. other half of my life is checking on the trees and diversifying on our ranch as well as maintaining my gardens, which now after some years of experience, it's gotten a lot easier to, to manage and plant and enjoy. But it all started with that single wish of just wanting to be a little healthier, a uh -huh. little bit more practical, and a little bit more local. Oh, perfect. Can you tell us about mm -hmm. your first attempts at composting? I, there was a like... exactly. So this this harkens back to like two thousand six, seven, eight, sometime around then. Uh -huh. I had a little container garden just off the side of my house, and my my roommate was saying, uh, "Well, we should be composting. You know, we should basically take our kitchen scraps and we should, you know, put them, you know, comp break them down and put them in the garden." Uh -huh. And I, did, I didn't understand that. I just thought, okay, this is easy. So I literally took, a, took my pizza scraps and leftover pizza, whole slices. I mean, this, I, was eating, I was even eating meat back in these days. So there's pepperoni pizza slices uh -huh. in, in our garden. And my neighbor, my, <laughs> my roommate comes home. My roommate comes home and he says, who threw the pizza in the garden? And I was proud. I said, I'm composting. <laughs> and he said, no, man, you've got it all wrong. And luckily, my roommate had a little bit of experience, a little more than I did, and, uh -huh. and pointed out that, no, this, this is obviously going to create maggots and bugs and un unwantedness that we don't want in our compost. Certainly, we don't want it, you know, brushing up against our leafy greens right. like this. So... That's how far I've come. You know, I began this journey throwing pizza in my garden, and 
I, I enjoy that story because I'm kind of proud of that big yeah. mistake. How far you've, yeah, exactly, how far you've come. So you actually participated in our Urban Farming 101 course in 2014, and uh, I kind of wanted to check in with you and see how that helped you in your farming process. Well, in that class, you used the term um, lazy farmer or uh-huh. lazy gardener. Yeah. And as a, as a way of basically learning how to plan your garden in a way that you wouldn't have to be a slave to your garden. Yeah. And so I got a lot out of your course in how I could mindfully plant things that were going to serve us in case I was away for a week or two or three or even a month. Right. That if I came back, the garden or my trees and everything would still be there. One of the biggest things I got out of your course was fruit trees. Oh, yes. And and how to plant them so that they can serve me year-round, mm-hmm. how I can plant them to cool my buildings. You know, I, have, I have a studio on my property as well as a house, right. and I have a little chicken coop. And all of those things have a tendency to get real hot at mm-hmm. different times of the day. So... I found myself planting right after that course or during the course, actually, it was January during the middle of the semester. Uh-huh. I personally planted 40 more fruit trees wow. on my property. How cool is adding, that? It, which was amazing because, you know, when I bought my property, all we had was Hassa avocados and reed avocados. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's nice. Once a year, we'd have a Haas crop and once a year, we'd have a, a reed avocado crop. But the rest of the year, we're dry. Mm-hmm. But now I have 27 different varieties of fruits. And within those 27 different varieties, we have vari- um, different varieties within those. You know, I've got, you know, f- four or five different types of citrus. I've got mm-hmm. um, uh, loquats lo- and guavas. I've got peaches, yeah. different varieties of peaches. Now, we're in San Diego where, you know, we can do a subtropical thing to... The stone fruits, in fact, I, I did plant some apples and pears, and they've, they've struggled a bit. Mm. We, we don't get enough cold to, right. uh, to really help those out. Um, but we've got some great figs, uh, Suriname cherries. Passion Ooh. fruit does extremely well. So that, that's really what I mostly took away um, from your mini books and from the urban farming class, the uh-huh. 101 class, was was how I could just add more value to my space. Mm-hmm. And and also you got me thinking about growing unique th- varieties that things that you don't normally see at the grocery store. And in my search at local nurseries I found things like the sapote fruit. Oh yes. Uh, mangoes. I mean we're again we're very lucky to grow year round and to grow some really unique things in this subtropical climate in San Diego. But, you know, for example, the Suriname cherries, the mangoes, the, uh, the sapote fruit, and more recently, coffee. Oh, yes. These are things that I find are, people aren't really growing them. And so that, A, it's fun for us to eat unique varieties of fruit. Uh-huh. But eventually, eventually, I foresee us having an abundance of some of these fruits at different times of the year that we may be able to take them, take them to a farmer's market or at least share them with our community. So right. I, I really loved, you know, changing my perspective 
or in, or expanding my perspective yeah. thanks to uh, thanks to your course. Well, thank you. Thanks for that. Yeah. So tell us about the transition from a small garden to what you have now, which is ten acres. Well, it's neat because the small garden is almost like a micro version yep. of the macro of the larger piece of our land here. So. And I feel like I took baby steps to get there, you know, with the container gardens and then to, a, to you know, my, I think I had four original grow beds in my backyard garden at one, and then at one point we had 14 grow beds, but then we realized it's, that's just too much for our household. Oh, yeah. And, and it kept us a little busy, so we scaled it back to four and we give our chickens half the garden to really run around in and fertilize. And then stepping out into the trees, that came as a economical need because as I transitioned to organic because a I wanted to be healthier I wanted I just wanted to proudly hang the the California certified organic farm sign oh, on our yes. gate nice um, yeah and we're surrounded by um, ag land a lot of people grow avocados neighbor across street grows has been growing strawberries for years, but now he grows peppers. Mm -hmm. um, that's just because of his clients' needs. But most of the farms around here are non-organic. And right. we, re we wanted to make a statement, and we want I also wanted to be a model for how it could be done, and I wanted to show pretty much the numbers, like what was, what was going to be our investment in time and money to get to organic status. And what I found is that it's, it was quite a lot of work, both oh, yeah. labor and and uh, financial expense. Right. But through that, I learned that we had been growing avocados in old-fashioned way. Our groves were planted. You know, it's called twenty by twenty. So uh -huh. every twenty feet, every twenty feet, you'll find an avocado tree. And the trees are huge, and it, you have to climb a ladder and use poles to get the fruit out of these trees. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a, that takes time. Well, with our new model, what we've decided to do is bring the trees down in size so they look more like shrubs. Uh -huh. And that, op that opened up a lot of land, a lot of real estate in between the trees, which has given us an opportunity to plant more product more plant material so that we can have more crop more return uh -huh. you know if we're going to have if we're going to be watering and we're going to have people out there feeding the trees and weeding we're going to need more crops to pay for that labor and all that material right um, and now we do and the diversification is also fun because rather than have the two crops a year, the two harvests of avocados, now we can look forward to having many varieties of avocados oh, yes. as well as many other, many, many other fruit varieties. And it, it was the goal with stepping out into the grove and taking over the 10-acre parcel myself was to eventually get to 365 days of food. Oh, was nice. basically get get to a place where it was a fruit forest uh-huh it wasn't just a monoculture of avocados it this can really be a dense jungle of food the different places you walk you might stumble onto a little citrus grove or a little mango grove or uh -huh. a cherimoya grove and um, i'm really excited about it we're still in that transition we're actually still planting right now but as it's a it's 10 acres is a big big space oh yeah but it would have been very daunting to do 
10 years ago when I didn't have any experience. But right. now having had some time to manage a small garden and to plant fruit trees around my home and my studio, to see really what it takes and to see what it will do in a year, how it can grow and how it can flower and how it can fruit, you know, some of the things to look forward to. I learned patience through mm. gardening. Uh -huh. I learned patience through planting fruit trees around my house. Beautiful. Because it's such a sweet reward when it when those fruits do come that I'm fine that I was finally ready to be patient enough with 10 acres. You know, it did it didn't seem as daunting anymore. Yeah. In fact, it seemed like the choices I make today I you know, 5 years from now, 10 years from now, this can be a really, really magical and unique farm. Yeah. And I'll also have, you know, some really beautiful data to show my neighbors and other future farmers in this area who actually are probably hurting financially with just growing avos mm -hmm. because avocado prices have gone down and water prices have gone up. Uh, yeah. So diversification is really, really needs to happen in order for farms to survive. Perfect. And you, you've hired our buddy Scott Murray to help you in your farm planning. What kind of difference has that made in the success of your farm? Wow. Scott comes with 40 years of experience. Uh -huh. You know, from how to think in the long term on what you want the farm to look like, how you want it to serve you, to, you know, preparing for El Nino. You know, while I wanted to just plant trees, he's like, "Well, maybe we should spend a few weeks getting ready for this rainfall. We're gonna want to we're gonna want to sequester the rain as it comes, and we're gonna want to make sure it doesn't all just run away all right. and take all your topsoil with you." So he really helped us in preparing mentally and and physically, transforming the landscape to hold in that rainwater and to dig various little, uh, I guess, trenches and ditches trenches, to direct swales, yeah. yes, to direct the water to go towards certain places. It was very helpful. Scott seems to know exactly what these plants and these trees really want to eat and just about how much they want to eat. So he's been very, very helpful in those formulas. Uh-huh. Um, He's very helpful in, you know, in, in really taking a moment to plan, take a moment to draw a picture, not only in your mind, but on the page. Uh -huh. And so that when it is time to execute, you don't have to work as hard. You know what steps you're going to take. Yeah. All your materials are there. Um, and it basically becomes a little assembly line of getting the work done because in years past, I might've done one thing and then found out I did it wrong and I might have to change something or, or something might die because of it it's it's just scott i call him my mentor i call him my farming mentor uh -huh. um and there isn't a lot that we do where we don't speak with scott first yeah. you know if, if we're going to make a big change or we're going to add something i usually consult with scott and and i've recommended that to a lot of young farmers or new farmers it's like get to know people in your area who are already doing this yeah and download their wisdom the best you can because yeah, that's a huge piece. Um, you don't want that wisdom from Scott and the generations before him to just disappear. Yeah. And every time I'm with him, I do my best to just soak it in, soak <laughs> it in, soak it in. And and I found Scott because just before I planted my first garden, 
I just, and you know, I didn't know what I should buy or if I should get a tractor or if I should get this or that. I decided to invite all my neighbors over for a, just a, just a hang. Wow. And, and about 80 people showed up uh-huh. and because I wanted to know if other people, maybe somebody next door was already composting and they were, they could let me have some of their material. Right. Maybe somebody had a tractor I could use. Maybe there's something I could grow for somebody else. You know, it was an opportunity to just see what was growing on. In fact, I called the event, There Grows the Neighborhood, What's Growing On. And uh, I love it. And, and so Scott was one of these people that came over. And I had said something to the group. I said, you know, I'd really love to be able to eat my own zip code. How, who can help me do that? And Scott and his wife, Laura, raised their hands. And that's when I met them and found out they, they had a, a CSA uh-huh. growing on at the time. And so my wife and I joined their CSA. I wasn't married at the time, but um, my gal and I joined their CSA. Right. And we started to get our food from the Murrays and went over and saw their urban farm, uh, or their edge of urban farm, as right. they call it, because yep. they're just on the border of Agland. They had a little two-acre spot with tons and tons and tons of food growing. We couldn't believe it. And, and so we were getting our food and starting to get some information from them. This was probably around 2010. Mm-hmm. And then in 2011, I ate some ketchup that Laura Murray, Scott's wife, had made. Oh, my gosh. And, and it, it stopped me. Like, I couldn't talk to anybody I just had to focus on this ketchup and I eat more of it and eat more of it Uh and that was the weekend I decided I was going to plant a serious garden Uh and I was going to grow all the ingredients I need to make this ketchup so it was food that drove me from my smaller container gardens to really giving it a good effort in my backyard with a proper garden yeah because it was Scott Scott Murray's wife's uh, ketchup, and I just I wanted that in my life. I wanted yeah. to be closer to that experience. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I found him. I had wow. a little party. I invited neighbors. I met them, and then learning about just about how much, seeing how much they knew, I started to hang out with them as much as I could. And obviously, I hired Scott to help me with my uh, transformation here on my property. Well, you're lucky. I I consider him one of my mentors as well. I met him probably 2011, and I've learned so much from him. And and I, I say that ketchup changed your life. Ketchup changed my life. <laughs> it cool it really did. How it really cool did. That? And my wife is such a foodie. She knows how to take ingredients out of the garden and do truly, truly remarkable things. Uh-huh. Um, so she said, if you can grow it, I'll make it. So nice. I, I just – I. I was driven at that point. I was nice. driven to grow a really nice garden and, and with some really quality uh, crops in there. Yeah. So I know Scott, and he and I chat occasionally, and he told me uh, um, maybe a year and a half ago that you are shifting what you're growing, and you're actually growing coffee on the property there. We are. Tell us in about fact, that. Um, I predict that our avocado ranch will mostly become a coffee plantation in the next, uh, over the course of the next 20 years. And that's 
it's partly because of the decline of the of, of the Haas avocado uh -huh. in the industry. Our trees were planted in the 70s, so they're old. Right. Um, we, we do cut them back, and there's a lot of new growth right now. We might get another generation out of our trees. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the whole area is covered in Haas avocados, so we really do get an advantage by planting new varieties of things. And coffee is something that, thanks to climate change, is now able to grow really well here. Wow. Um, in in Southern California, um, there's a farmer who's getting a lot of press these days. His name is Jay Rusky out of Goodland Organics in, in Goleta, California, which is just north of Santa Barbara. And he's been growing specialty coffee for the last 10 years, and he's doing a, in just an amazing job. His coffee is getting high reviews by the Specialty Coffee Association, which is the organization that, that rates coffee. Uh -huh. And so now he's, now he's sharing his um, coffee vision to build a, an industry of California-grown coffee. Oh, nice. Um, sharing it. He's sharing it with avocado growers because the trees are very similar. It's a similar pH. It's a similar leaf structure. Oh, nice. They're, they're, they're both similar type of tropical trees, and they grow very well together. There's a uh -huh. nice synergy between the coffee and the avocado. And the coffee, you know, a, a coffee tree can last 50 to 100 years. And so that's another, that's another great investment. I mean, once you plant it, it's there for you, you know, and each year, of course, we're going to have to cultivate it and prune it and feed it. But the harvest, the blooms and the harvest should come yearly once it starts. And it's brand new to the area. People really don't know if it's going to work, but his tests over the last 10 years have shown that it does. In the 60s and 70s, people didn't think you could grow wine in California. But, <laughs> and look what we did but there. You sure can't. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And and coffee is interesting to me because it is brand new yeah. um, because that was something I learned in, in your Urban Farming 101 class. It was like, you know, talk to area chefs, find out what people want yep, and grow it for them. Yeah. And coffee is the second highest import in the United States after oil. Oh, my people gosh. People really want coffee. Oh, and. If you go to a specialty coffee shop, you get these brilliant varieties from all over the world, but there's never been a mainland USA coffee. Uh -huh. uh, so we're really looking forward to um, to adding coffee, um, adding California-grown coffee to that landscape. I just think it's really exciting. I think it's cutting edge. I think it's new. Uh -huh. So because we brought down our avocado trees in size, we were able to add last year 2234 coffee trees oh my gosh to our property so wow that's that's just that's just amazing to me yeah. you know where where i was losing money growing avocados as an organic grower the drive for me now is watching all of these crops in the next 5 years start to come to life and start to to give us some return and get ahead again and survive as a small farm. Yeah, I'm lucky that I have a great day job, but um, a lot of my other neighbors and gentlemen farmers in the area, they don't. Right. And I'm hoping that my farm and, and maybe even coffee can serve as a model for how we can save our small farms out here. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So why is this notion of urban farming or your kind of suburban farming, why is this important to you? 
I think it's a, it's a feeling of empowerment. Uh -huh. I feel like I can be closer to certain foods that I'm able to grow mm -hmm. for my kitchen. It supplements my grocery income. It gets me closer to nature, which I think our, our humanness, we are from nature, mm -hmm. but for some reason we've all congregated towards the cities. So I, I, I didn't want to lose that sense of nature. And I travel so much. I fly oh, yeah. and I'm I'll always bet. on buses and hotels that to me, the farming aspect of my life, it truly grounds me. I mean, my hands are in the soil and to get that dirt on your face. And I've learned <laughs> through the years now that, that all that bacteria is only helping my body thrive. It's yeah. only helping my immune system. It's only helping my gut flora. I just love it. I love being outdoors. I love watching something grow. It's it's a sense of of peace, of mm -hmm. joy. It's a real simple and humble sense of virtue. I I, I just love it. I just I just yeah. it's my it's my television. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah. Do you have advice for new farmers? Yes. Just start. Mm -hmm. to just start. That was advice given to me, and I get it now. Just start. Like, well, I don't know how. I mean, there's so much material out there to help oh, us yeah. get started. Yeah. Especially at urbanfarm.org. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, following Urban Farm on Facebook. I mean, there really is a lot of material there. Your mini books are great. Uh -huh. I think just start because then you'll see what works for you. Right. You'll see. Um, how long you can act? I mean, I mean, it, you'll even find out what what posture is good for you. Oh, right. Am I better squatting, yeah, exactly. sitting, or bending over? You know, um, do I want things that trellis? And it, is it better to serve me on my back deck or on my windowsill? Yeah. Um, I mean, every, it, it is so. It's such a personal practice that by starting, you'll learn what works for you, and you'll learn what what you really need. Yeah. There's a great quote, I don't know who said it, but it says, show me your garden and I'll show you the kind of person you are. Oh, wow. And your garden, your farm, it really will become a reflection of you. Yeah. You know, maybe you like pickles and you might find that just, you know, planting some cucumber seeds every couple of weeks and keeping your cucumber trellis going mm -hmm. is, is all you need to do because you are fulfilled with pickles and cucumbers year round, you know, <laughs> or you might like a little more variety. Or what I love about fruit trees is that you can plant them once and pretty much feed them once, twice a year, and you will get fruit year after year after year for decades. <laughs> that is such a gift from nature oh, to yeah. you, all thanks to the little bit of time that you put in. And so I say just start because you'll learn. And also the sooner you start, the sooner you'll start to get some of that reward of eating those sweet, sweet fruits. It's don't be scared. Just get dirty. Just get, there, there you go. Love it. Don't be scared. Yeah. Just get dirty. I hear you yeah. grow medicinal and perennial herbs too. We do. So this, this goes back to... I found that I actually enjoy being a lazy gardener, a lazy uh -huh. farmer. Love that. And rather rather than in rather than try to grow, you know, a few carrots and a few onions and a few beets and a few this that seem to all get harvested at once and eaten in about one day. Uh -huh. 
I've we've started to focus more on things that can that can winter over and, and keep growing and keep growing. We have this amazing chard that will last two oh, years yeah. or more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got sages, we've got mugworts, motherwort, comfrey, plantain, angelica, wow. asparagus. It just Gosh, goes I'm on just and on, it sounds like. Top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. And so the medicinal herbs and the perennials are wonderful because um, my wife likes to, she's, she, we, we drink herbal infusions. Oh, yeah. And what that is, is we take the herbs, um, dry, fresh, like stinging nettle, and you can put it, you know, a uh, couple of uh, dried cups into a big quart jar and uh-huh. uh, pour boiling water on it, let it sit to four hours, and then strain it and drink it. And you've got this truly magical beverage. It's an herbal infusion. Ooh. And uh, we're getting more and more into this. And it's it's helping us get off of supplements. So we're not buying supplements. Right. And we're not buying all these really expensive superfoods that come from other countries. We're able to actually source our you know, our chlorophyll and our nutrients and our uh-huh. vitamins right from our own backyard. backyard. Um, and it's very easy to grow. You know, the types of things that you can cut them back and they just grow and grow even bigger the yeah. second, the next time. We've got these beautiful flowering lavenders, oh, uh, nice. flowering basils, basils and lavenders that, that our bees love oh, to, to dine on. Um, <laughs> And so these are things that enhance our garden. We've noticed that the pests, we used to have a lot of aphid problems on uh-huh. our kales and, and our lettuces and our chards, et cetera, that we no longer have that problem. And I, and I truly think it's because of our diversity of all the different herbs we have growing mm-hmm. sort of in conjunct with our lettuces, et cetera, our peppers and things. Right. Um, and I think our soil health adds to that too. But yeah, so the medicinal herbs are great because it's it's just another type of crop that we like to use in our kitchen that we don't have to buy and source right. from somewhere else. And it's very, very easy to grow. Once you plant it, it tends to just get bigger and bigger each year. And perennials, most perennials I've noticed, want to propagate themselves and are easy to propagate and, uh-huh. and duplicate again and again on your property. So... We've, we've kind of fallen in love with those. Love that. Love that. This concludes part one of our conversation with singer-songwriter Jason Mraz. Join us in a couple of days as we talk with him about his experience with music, planting trees, and taking urban farming on the road. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, 
Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit denalicanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's denalicanning.com forward slash free.